0: Hello God's people, Pastor Vic Borden here, beginning a three-part Wednesday evening series of devotions. Not really preaching, but uh, a Bible study, a devotional thought, which is going to carry on for three Wednesday evenings. I want to ask you the question just as we begin. Is it possible to talk yourself into mentally thinking or even emotionally feeling like you are doing the will of God when you're actually not? Can you be self-deceived? Well, of course, the answer is yes, yes, a million times yes. A follower of Christ can absolutely be living outside of the will of God and can justify or rationalize or alibi or blame shift or any number of things for a season. But there's a particular aspect of every human being's Being, (laughs) which will not allow us to get away with rebelling against God. That is, get away indefinitely. And it's called the conscience. This evening, in the next two Wednesday evenings, I want to share a devotion that I've called the human conscience. Not anything particularly uh, exciting in in that title or uh, creative, but it does speak to the uh, subject matter that we'll cover tonight and then the next two Wednesday evenings. A three-part series called The Human Conscience. And part one, right now, is the operation of the conscience. The operation of the conscience. If you would, take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, through chapter 23, verse 5. So we go from one chapter to the next, but it's really not very many verses. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. The chief captain commanded him, that is the apostle Paul, to be brought into the barracks and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know For what reason they, that is the Jewish leaders, so cried against him, against Paul? And as they bound him with uh, thongs, with um, uh, ropes, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest. For this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he, Paul, said, Yes. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum I obtained this freedom. And Paul said, I was free born." Then immediately they departed from him, who should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. On the next day, because he would have known the certainty for what reason he was accused by the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now chapter 23. And Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience, Before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Smack him right in the face is what the high priest said. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. The Apostle Paul had just completed his three evangelistic church planting missionary journeys. He'd gone back to Jerusalem in this passage, just in time for the Feast of Pentecost, and to bring them a special, generous love offering to the poor saints in the mother church at Jerusalem for, from many, many of the Gentile congregations. And in this passage, Paul had defended his integrity before God and man. And he repeated this a few days later when he was standing before the governor, Felix, in chapter 24. Paul said that he lived with a clear conscience and wanted all believers to live in that same way. And he didn't recognize that when he had rebuked the high priest, that he was doing something contrary to the will of God. So he immediately turned from that. He immediately repented and acknowledged his ignorance. You know, it's a critical, critically important principle if you're going to enjoy your life in Christ, you will only do so if you live with a clear conscience. Paul told Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, to war, a good warfare, that is, fight a, a good uh, f- spiritual warfare, holding the faith and a good conscience. In other words trusting and obeying God's word in all his dealings, whether anyone was watching or not. It's an issue of the integrity of the heart. Later, uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.3, near the end of his life, his life was almost over, and he told young Pastor Timothy to serve God with a pure conscience. And so, this evening we get into the operation of the human conscience. Now, I'm a trichotomist. That is, I believe that God created every human, every person with three distinct interwoven aspects in our lives. Namely, we are body, soul, and spirit. I am body, soul, and spirit. Now, the reason we can know that is Paul prayed For the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that, quote, their whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we very clearly see that believers, as Paul was addressing, the Thessalonians, have three distinct aspects of their beings. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 makes a distinction about the operation of the word of God on the conscience, when it says that uh, it is a function of God will divide soul and spirit. It uses that illustration, and, and if there wasn't any distinctive between soul and spirit, that is, if it was one unit, then uh, there wouldn't be this specificity here in um, in Hebrews 4.12 and 1 Thessalonians five. 23. So clearly, we are humans, body, soul, and spirit. Why am I belaboring that? Because I want to speak to to that very issue of where the conscience operates and why we can know that it's operational in the lives of every person. The body is one's physical house, and each person who's alive has a living body. Obviously, we know that. The soul is is the center of affections. That is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And every person, no matter uh, if he is a, a strong follower of Christ or an atheist, everyone has a soul because everyone who is alive and, and at all functional has a mind, has, has a will, and has emotions. The spirit is the part of your being which has the capacity to commune with God himself. That is, you can receive the things of God and you can express to the Lord um, in a personal relationship. All believers have an active living spirit, but this is where um, it's different for an unbeliever. For Ephesians 2, one says, lost people are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, are they dead physically? No, I wasn't dead physically when I was lost. Was I dead soulish, soulishly? That is, was my soul dead when I was lost? Oh, no, I had a mind. I had a will. In fact, my will had a hell bent. I went out of my way to sin because I wanted to. The spirit is what is dead in the life of a lost person, which is why Ephesians 2, 1 says... And you hath he made alive or quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It was the spiritual uh, aspect, the spiritual, the spirit of a lost person, which was dead. And God made alive the spirits of redeemed people. And so the human conscience, therefore, is a function of the soul because it is active. It is operational. In the lives of lost people. What is then the conscience? Well, I don't know that I have a great definition for it, but it's really the awareness of doing right and wrong. It's the referee in one's uh, inner being, that small inner voice which makes judgment calls. And the reason that we can know that a lost person has a functional soul is because he or she can sense when that inner voice is being suppressed or when that person is responding uh, to the promptings of one's conscience. I can remember as a teenager, I didn't come to know the Lord Jesus until I was 20 years old. And so I can remember uh, as an older child and an early teenagers, when I really began to knowingly and intentionally, volitionally violate the morals of my family and the social mores of our culture. Now, let me give you an example. Not proud of this, but this is uh, one way the conscience was operational back um, 45 years ago or so when I was a teenager, uh, I could cuss a blue streak. I could, I could uh, let out a string of vile words if I was prompted to, if I was uh, provoked to. But I was careful, tried to always be careful that there wasn't an authority figure, uh, there wasn't a, a, a little old lady standing by or something like that. Now, why? It wasn't because I was honoring God or not honoring God. It was because my conscience, trained or educated by social mores, what was appropriate, told me how I should operate and how I shouldn't operate, Uh, which is why John MacArthur, in his book The Vanishing Conscience, one of the reasons we know that the, the conscience, the collective corporate conscience of America is vanishing is that Lost people can just let out vile language in anyone's presence and seemingly not mine. The conscience has been so repressed, so suppressed, that it's hardly even speaking to some folks in various ways. And so, a lost person senses uh, propriety, even if he or she doesn't... uh, acknowledge it, or want to follow it. Again, MacArthur in his book, The Vanishing Conscience, says this. The conscience is generally seen by the modern world as a defect which robs people of their self-esteem. Far from being a defect or a disorder, however, our ability to sense our own guilt is a tremendous gift from God. He designed the conscience into the very framework of the human soul. MacArthur adds, multitudes today respond to their conscience by attempting to suppress it, overrule it, or silence it. You see, the human conscience is a gift from God in an analogous way, similar to when you put your hand on a hot stove, you immediately recoil because your nerve endings sense the burn and the potential injury. And so you pull away from that. It's a warning system. And the human conscience is like that on moral issues. So the operation of the conscience. Two primary points if you're taking notes. First of all, the conscience speaks, quotes there, is an, an alarm system for commendation when one behaves appropriately. Your conscience can commend what you have done or what you turn away from doing if it is um, if it has sounded that alarm. And that's what happened with Paul. Uh, He told the Sanhedrin council. He didn't say I'm sinless I didn't do it or he deserved it or anything like that he responded to the light that was given to him. He was ignorant, and then he admitted his guilt. Um, He recognized that he shouldn't do what he had done with the high priest, even though the high priest did that which was inappropriate. So we see in our text that Paul was maintaining the clear conscience um, he redressed it, humbled himself, and said he should not, in so many words, said he should not have done that. Peter spoke the apostle Peter of having a clear conscience relative to one's testimony. Listen, it says in First Peter 3:16, which immediately follows verse 15, which says, "Be ready to always to give an answer to anyone who asks you of the reason of the hope that's in you. Be ready to witness." for Christ in a, with a moment's notice. And then the very next verse, it says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil, evil of you as evildoers, evildoers will do that, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good behavior in Christ. In other words, you maintain a good conscience so that when co-workers and family and neighbors hear your witness, hear your testimony of faith in Christ, even if they were to accuse you of being a hypocrite, uh, of being uh, holier than thou, their own consciences would accuse them because they really know better. They know that you are genuine if you are maintaining a clear conscience. And so the conscience speaks commendation. It commends you when you behave appropriately. So we see right here that the Apostle Paul blew it, but immediately he maintained a clear conscience as soon as that came to his attention. And then secondly, the conscience speaks condemnation when one behaves inappropriately. When we sin, The conscience screams at us. It's it's possible for a person to become so accustomed to sinning and so used to hearing the conscience um, calling him or her out like a referee does that one can muffle it and can even suppress it to the degree that Paul told Timothy. It's interesting, four or five times with Timothy, he kept saying to that young pastor, Maintain a clear conscience. Maintain a pure conscience. Well, in First Timothy four two, he says there are those who have their conscience seared with a hot iron. It, it's kind of like when you take a steak, a, a, a beef, a, a sirloin steak, and you don't want it to be dry. You want it. You want to keep the juices in. You will sear it on all sides so that the juices stay in and cannot get out. Well, similarly, when one sears his or her conscience, the accusing nature does not get out. It's seared. Uh, It's deadened to a, a great degree. And it's not just a believer who has an active conscience. Romans 2 teaches that lost people have God's law written on their hearts. And folks, we know that because everyone innately knows murder is wrong and and thievery is wrong and lying is wrong. And and just think about your two-year-old child or grandchild, three-year-old. When that child does something wrong, he or she tries to hide. I can remember one of my children at about age 18 months would steal the bottle, a formula of the younger sibling who was, a, who was a baby. No wonder that child couldn't put on any weight. <laughs> and take that bottle and go and hide and drink that formula. Why go and hide? Why not parade it in front of everyone? Because the conscience was accusing that one. It condemns when we behave inappropriately, which is why every person I'm convinced already knows of the sanctity of human life. We would be outraged if someone was put to death, or we ought to be outraged if someone was put to death, unless it were for a just righteous cause, i.e. capital punishment for murder or something of the sort, which is why when a baby is uh, aborted, everyone knows that that is immoral because Psalm 139 14 says and that my soul knoweth right well. That is the sanctity of human life. My soul knows right well. My conscience commends me when I stand up for the sanctity of human life and it condemns me if I were not to to stand up for the sanctity of of human life. In his book, Rediscovering Holiness, J.I. Packer wrote, an educated, sensitive conscience is God's monitor. It alerts us to the moral quality of what we do or plan to do. It forbids lawlessness and irresponsibility and makes us feel guilt, shame, fear of future retribution that it tells us we deserve when we have allowed ourselves to defy its restraints. In other words, the conscience sends an alarm. I go ahead and violate that, and there is a sense of fear of retribution consequences, basically. Satan's strategy is to corrupt, desensitize, and if possible, kill our consciences. The relativism, materialism, narcissism, secularism, and hedonism of today's Western world help him mightily toward his goal. His task, that is Satan's task, is made yet simpler by the way in which the world's moral weaknesses have been taken into the contemporary church. Oh, you're irresponsible. Oh, you you behave this way. But, but it's not your fault. Someone else did this to you. Someone else set the table for you. And how could you help it? So blame shifting and alibiing and excusing and denying all of that is because the conscience is operational and it condemns when I behave inappropriately. So in review, again, just a brief devotion. And we'll continue this the next two Wednesday evenings. In conclusion, every human being has an active conscience. And this conscience, the referee in our souls, will either speak commendation, it'll commend us for doing what is appropriate, or it will speak condemnation. Next Wednesday, today was the operation, next Wednesday is the violation of the conscience. Until then... I want to ask you, does your conscience right now tell you that God has accepted you? Are you a child of God? Do you know that you know that you're a child of God? Your sins are forgiven, you're heaven bound, that you have new life in Christ? If you don't have the absolute assurance of that, if there is a sense of fear of the fear of judgment to come, uncertainty, please get a hold of us at Red Bridge Baptist Church. Just go online, send us a note, and let us reach out to you, share with you, and um, share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you, too, may be saved, come into his fold, and be a child of God. May we pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that we have Clear instruction from your word to maintain a clear conscience, to walk in a pure conscience, to do so uh, in glory and honor to you, and ultimately for our own good. And Lord, any who are listening who don't know you and have the accusing conscience saying, You've broken the law, you've not honored God, you don't know Him, you're not forgiven. Lord, would you uh, make alive that person, that spirit, to turn to you in repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be saved even in this moment. And for the children of God, Lord, that you would, like we saw with the Apostle Paul, immediately confess and turn from known sin and have a brand new, fresh walk with you, even beginning right now. We're thankful for the operation of your spirit in our hearts. And so, Spirit of God, turn on the searchlight. Reveal what wicked way there might be in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For your glory, for our good, Lord Jesus, we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.